The scripture reading for this morning will be taken from the book of Luke. The chapter is 7, verses 36 through 50. Again, that's Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And it reads, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed him, I'm sorry, anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of these will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who I suppose the one whom he forgave more and he said to him you have rightly judged then he turned to the woman and said to Simon do you see this woman I entered into your house you gave me no water for my feet you gave me no water for my feet but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head You gave me no kiss, but this woman had not ceased to kiss my feet since I I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same love little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And they sat at meat with them and began to say with themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sin also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Good morning. We are delighted to have you this morning. We're thankful for your presence. We are excited about the day that's before us. We have a lot going on, and uh, we're looking forward to the day and our time together. We have had a wonderful seminar with Melvin Ote from Montgomery, Alabama. I'll read you a little bit about him and his bio here momentarily, but he has done a tremendous job sharing with us the parables of our Lord, at least some of them, and some wonderful, powerful lessons 
uh, that we can draw as we lay one thing beside another. This is actually his last sermon. We had some wonderful attendance this week. Uh, and for those who have been here, I'm certain you have been challenged. I'm certain you have uh, had some things to think about and maybe some areas in which we can change our lives. I know I have. It has been a tremendous job and you and I have been benefited to be here. For those of you who have not been here, why not? Why not? Um, we know, absolutely we know, there are legitimate reasons why people can't do everything. We appreciate that. But as the elders, these things are planned out a year in advance. And in December, every year, in an internal seminar, we stop and we say, here are the dates. And some don't make it. And so, we are going to encourage you. We have another one in October. We're going to urge you to make that. Well, why is that so important? We just heard about the master and his talents, if you were here for Bible class. And one of the things that was brought out is not to squander and waste and to be diligent and be about the business of our Father. Talked about talents and those who have them and what's been given and the responsibility thereof. As one of the elders here, we have an obligation to you. That's been provided for us. That obligation certainly speaks to us providing opportunities for you to grow in God's grace and knowledge and that involves his word. The elders are unable to make people do anything. But God will judge if we don't provide and do what we're supposed to. Having provided and done what we're supposed to, we're going to urge you need to be here because you need to feed upon God's word and you need to grow and be stretched. For those who came had that opportunity. Doesn't mean they'll do it, but they had the opportunity. Now they then, though charged, have to take God's word and make changes in their lives. Those who didn't make it don't even have that opportunity. Well, that doesn't fall to the elders. It falls to those individuals who didn't make it. Again, let me preface. I know there are some legitimate reasons and some real life reasons why people can't make it. But we're going to urge, strongly urge, set it out a year in advance. Opportunity is available. It's a Friday night, one session. It's a Saturday morning, three sessions. And it's three mostly on Sunday. Why not? Our speaker, Brother Melvin Ote, has served as Associate Professor of Law at Faulkner University Jones School of Law since August 2014. Prior to this, he worked for the U.S. Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. as a trial lawyer from 2000 to 2003, 2007 to 2014. Preached for the Georgia Avenue Church of Christ in D.C. from 2006 to 2014. Among other things, he writes for Christian publications, conducts gospel meetings, lectureships, and seminars, serves as a board member for Lads to Leaders and the Gospel Journal. He received formal education from St. Louis University, a BSBA in 97, Howard University School of Law, a JD in 2000, Amridge University, BS in Ministry and Bible, 2008, a Master of Divinity, in ministerial leadership in 2014. He and his wife, Jenea, who is also a lawyer, have two sons, Caleb and Christian. They worship and work with the Dalreda congregation in Montgomery, Alabama. He has done a tremendous job this weekend opening up God's word, sharing it with us, and teaching us about some principles, kingdom principles. 
At this hour, he'll talk to us about the creditor and his debtor. We are thankful for him and for his family and thankful for the way he conducts himself and preaches God's word faithfully, and we're, we're thankful that he's here with us. Brother Melvin, come speak to us. Good morning. Always appreciate a chance to be with God's people and appreciate uh, the invitation to come. I, I have said before, I, I always uh, appreciate being here at Avondale. So many of the folks here I've grown fond of over the years, and I thank you for having me and my family to be with you this morning. We're going to try one more time to look at what Jesus has to tell us about kingdom living. Of course, we cannot cover everything in just a few days, but we will try to cover a little more today. I appreciate the reading also that we had from Luke chapter 7. That will be our point of emphasis here this morning. Take a look with me again at Luke chapter 7. It's interesting, this episode in Jesus' ministry. Now, the parable itself is very short. It is the context, though, that will help us understand just how potent it is. It seems that Jesus, as he was going about his business, preaching, teaching the gospel, that some people were ready to receive it. And most of the time, those who received it were the downtrodden, the outcast, those who were low. But the people who were supposed to be the religious elite of their day, by and large, rejected what Jesus had to say and also rejected what John the Baptist had had to say before them. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 30, we see some indication of this. But the Pharisees and the lawyers or scribes rejected for themselves the counsel of God not being baptized of him, John the baptizer. When we get to Luke chapter 7 and verse number 36, we see that Jesus is invited to sup at the house of one of these Pharisees. This is one of the religious leaders. He says, the Bible says, one of the Pharisees desired that he would eat with him and he entered into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meat or food. The setting. Listen. Jesus was the kind of person who could sit down with those who were called sinners, publicans, those who were not appreciated, not respected. He could sit down at meet with them, but he could also sit down at meet with the Pharisees. Jesus came for everybody. Here's a man who says, I would like for you to come to my house and break bread with me and my friends. And Jesus says, yes. In verse 37, behold, a woman who was in the city, a sinner. And when she knew that she, he was sitting at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster cruise of ointment and standing behind at his feet, weeping, she began to weep to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Listen. Some people were invited to the Pharisee's house. Jesus was supposed to be the guest of honor. And he had some of his other Pharisee friends there as well. Perhaps there was some uh, religious leaders, some folks who were respected, some people in his social circle who were invited to be there. But there is at least one interloper. Someone who was not invited, someone who was not on the guest list, a woman. She hears 
that Jesus is going to be at this Pharisee's house. And she says, I want to be where he is. And so she gathers up this alabaster cruise of ointment, expensive oil, and she takes it to where Jesus is. It's interesting, the Bible says of this woman that she is a sinner. Now, we don't know exactly what her sin is. I would suggest to you that it seems at least to be suggested by the context that she's guilty of some sexual sin. Why do I say that? Well, whatever her sin is, it is publicly known. And we will see as this unfolds that the Pharisee has some concern about her having physical contact with Jesus. You know, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that it would defile someone for a liar to touch you physically. But there are some things in the Bible that suggest that sexual immorality would make a person impure and you would not want to come into contact with them. I think that's at least suggested. I don't push it, but I think that's at least suggested. It's also true that the Jews had laws about how women would handle their hair. The expectation was that a woman who was married or even used to be married would have her hair up and covered the Jewish laws we can read about outside the Bible, extra biblical Jewish laws tell us that's the way they thought that was to be handled. Also, in Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 22, you see how the Jews were to deal with a woman who was suspected of adultery. And one of the interesting things there is you will see that the priest, if she was to be, uh, if she was expected to have been unfaithful, one of the things he was to do was to let down her hair. That means her hair would have been up before that. It seems that that's what is expected here. That's what's suspected here. This woman, a known sinner, comes into Jesus' presence. She sort of lets herself in, it seems, to the Pharisee's house. And when she's there before the Lord, the Bible says of her that she was standing behind his feet at his feet in verse 38. And she was weeping. So you read that and maybe you think John 11 in verse 35, Jesus wept. And when you read in John 11 and verse 35, what that's saying is Jesus had tears that that sort of descended down from his eyes onto his face. He he wept. But that's not what was happening here. You know, in uh, in Matthew chapter two. We're told about the reference to Rachel weeping over the children who had died, you know, because uh, Herod, when he finds out where Jesus was supposed to have been born, he sends and kills. He slaughters all of those infant males. And the Bible says this is what the Bible was talking about there in the Old Testament. Rachel weeping over her children. Listen, crying bitterly. It's a different word and it has a different meaning. This is the word that is used with respect to Peter in Matthew 26. I want to say it's verse 75. Peter, when he denies the Lord and the Lord looks at him, Peter realizes what he's done. And he goes out and the Bible says he wept bitterly. Wailing. And bemoaning. Heart broken. This woman. 
at Jesus' feet in the midst of a dinner party. Uninvited, but in Jesus' presence, broken and causing a scene. Not only is she crying, but now she is wetting his feet with the tears from her face. Now, you just don't get that from a couple of tears trickling down your face. She's weeping bitterly and so much so that the tears are falling from her face onto the Lord's feet. And she uses the hair from her head to wash his feet. Why is she doing that? I tell you what. His feet needed to be washed. Jesus came in a bodily form and he used the same streets, the same roads that everybody else used. And you know what? Sometimes we'll go out and spend so much money on shoes and so forth. Well, that's not what they had in Israel 2000 years ago. He wore sandals like everybody else. And guess what? Those roads were used by human beings and animals alike. And Jesus had to traverse those roads to get to the Pharisee's house. And when he gets to the Pharisee's house, apparently... No provision had been made for his feet. This woman sees an opportunity to serve the Lord. And she does that with what she has. Her tears and her hair, which had apparently been let down in public. And she uses this alabaster cruise and she pours the ointment onto him. And anoints him. Kisses his feet. This is the sinner. Now you'll notice that the Pharisee sees this in verse number 39. Now when the Pharisee that had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have perceived who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, that she is a sinner. Apparently Simon, that's his name, Jesus is going to speak his name. Apparently Simon has Jesus on trial. I'd like you to come to my house, have dinner with me and some of my friends so that we can sort of get a good look at you, ask you some questions, inspect you, see what you're all about. The people think you are a prophet. I'm not so sure, but if you'll give me an evening of your time, I'll get this figured out. And then the woman comes in and she's interacting with the Lord in this way. And Simon says, you know what? If this man was a prophet, he would know who this woman is. He would know what kind of woman she is. There's no way in the world he'd let this woman put her hands all over his feet like he's doing if he was a prophet. You know, the Pharisees ran in a different kind of social circle than this interloper. They were removed from the common people to some extent and degree. Now listen, they were the rulers of the synagogues. They led in the synagogues, but they were above everybody else. Paul would say they were the strictest of the sect of the Jews. And uh, he's got an impression about the Lord based on what he's allowed this woman to do. This is the context in which Jesus speaks our parable. 
verse number 40, Jesus answers and says to him, Simon, there is his name. I have somewhat to say to you. And I always like to be fair with people. I like to be, I like to be honest, give credit where credit is due. Jesus says, Simon, I would like to say something. And Simon rightly says, master, teacher, say on. Please speak. You have the floor. And Jesus says, a certain lender had two debtors. The one owed 500 shillings and the other 50. When they had not wherewith to pay, he forgave them both. The old version says, he frankly forgave them both. Which of them therefore will love him most? Simon answers and says, he I suppose to whom he forgave the most. And he says to him, you have rightly judged. A really short parable. Jesus says there was a man and this man had two people who were indebted to him. The one person owed 500 shillings. This is the equivalent of a day's wage, one shilling. And this person owed 500. So the person owed the equivalent of about two years of daily labor, assuming some days off for sickness or what have you, the Sabbaths and so forth. So this person owed about two years of wages, assuming they kept nothing for themselves, didn't use any food, any of the money to buy food or clothing and so forth. Second person. 50 shillings and maybe your version says denarii but it's a day's wage and at first glance we look at that and we think to ourselves well you know what the one person is a little better off than the other I mean one person owes 500 and the other person owes 50 and so the one person has a lesser debt but here's the thing when the time came to pay neither had wherewith to pay I don't know how y'all do it in Atlanta, but where I'm from, broke is broke. You know, when the person gives you the bill and you can't pay the bill, we call that broke. And you're not better off than somebody else because they're more broke than you are. I don't know how y'all do it here, but that's how it works where I come from. I mean, if you don't have it, the lights get cut off. If you don't have it, your stuff gets put on the street. And how short you are is not the point. So Jesus asked the question, we've got this creditor and we've got these two debtors and the one does owe more, has a more exacerbated debt than the other. But here's the thing. It's the creditor. It's the lender. He freely forgives them both. This is a magnanimous man recognizes the debt the debt is rightly to be paid and he forgives them both question which of the two do you think will love the creditor more Jesus asked Simon this question and Simon says I suppose the one that was forgiven most if I had to if I had to guess I mean it seems logical to me that the one who was forgiven of the greater debt would love the master most. Jesus affirms. Jesus affirms. Yes. Yes, you have rightly judged. Now, this sets up a confrontation. 
You know, we don't always have this in the Bible. Jesus expects when he gives these parables, listen, people understand the one thing and they're supposed to lay that beside the other thing. And Jesus knows that he understands the one thing because he has rightly judged. Now Jesus is going to lay that beside something else so that it cannot be missed the point. Verse 44. He turns to the woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman, this sinner, the one that you're concerned about touching my feet, the one who was not invited, the one who would not have been welcomed? Do you see her? Well, listen, I came into your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Listen, it was common courtesy. When someone entered into your home in this culture, that you would make provision for their feet to be cleansed. It was it was common, a basic courtesy. If you were a person with servants, no doubt, like this Pharisee was, he would not have washed his feet himself. He wouldn't have washed Jesus' feet himself. He'd have had someone else to do that. You remember Jesus taking an apron and girding himself and bowing down to wash the feet of his apostles. He was doing a servant's work. This man would have had someone else to do that. But he made no provision for Jesus' feet at all. Jesus says it was... It was too much for you to provide some water to wash my feet. But this woman has not stopped washing my feet with her own tears and the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Listen, this was a common greeting. You know how sometimes uh, Paul will write and he'll say, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute. This was just a common way. It's like the way we see each other and we may shake hands. But, you know, when you're really familiar, you're really comfortable. Even a man, you'll hug the person. That was the way the Jews treated each other. But since I came into your house, you didn't give me the kiss of welcome. You, you didn't try to make me feel like I was wanted. You don't have a brotherly feeling for me in your heart. This woman, you couldn't kiss my cheek or you couldn't kiss my forehead. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Since I've come into your house, verse 46, my head you did not anoint with oil. Again, very common thing. It'd be like if someone comes into your home, you know, and you say, well, listen, uh, let me take your coat. And uh, this is the powder room right here. If you need to use the bathroom, you can do that right here. We're going to have dinner. You can wash up right here. And uh, if you want to, uh, I'll go ahead and give you a glass of water. Now, this is just basic stuff. He says, listen, I came into your house and you didn't anoint my head with oil. The anointing with oil had some uh, hypoallergenic as aspects to it too, you know. It wasn't just to try to look good, but you've gone through the wind and you've gone through the roads and so forth and there'd be dust and all of this kind of stuff. Well, they would use oil to deal with all of that. You couldn't do that. But, but this woman anointed my feet with oil. 
See, there's a confrontation. Jesus is saying, now you look down on this woman. You are concerned that I may not know what kind of woman she is. Oh, I know good and well what kind of woman she is. In verse number 47, wherefore I say to you, Simon, I say to you, her sins, listen to it, which are many are forgiven. I know exactly what kind of woman this is. I know exactly what she has done. She's got a long list of sin debts. And guess what? I frankly, I freely forgive them all. Jesus says, because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You know, what's the point here? Jesus looks at this woman. Everyone else is looking at her based on what she has been, based on what she has done, seeing how short she has fallen, how low she is socially. Jesus looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. See, what's the point here? What's going on here? There were two debtors, two people owed. And Jesus says one person owes ten times as much as the other. That was our interloper. That was the woman who was not invited. That was the woman whose sins everybody knew. The woman who could never live down what she had been. The woman whose whose sins had been put on the front page of the newspaper. The woman who people were reading about on Facebook. Maybe the woman whose number folks could find in some dirty bathroom somewhere. Jesus knew everything she had done ten times as much as somebody else and he forgave it. Jesus knew what kind of woman she was. But he also knew what kind of man Simon was. See, Simon was not without sin. He just just didn't have quite as long a debt as this woman. See, maybe her list was ten times longer. Maybe her debt was ten times deeper. But he still had a sin debt. And just like her, he couldn't pay it. Jesus is making a point here. You see how passionately she embraces Jesus. How passionate she is to serve him. How passionately she is to love him. Why? When he forgave her, she felt the full weight of redemption. She had been released. She had been loosed. She had been freed. She had been given a new lease on life. And she felt that. Simon is looking at her and he's looking at himself. You remember the two people went to the temple to pray and and one is a Pharisee. And he sort of he's looking at the 
the sinner next to him, the publican, he's thinking to himself, well, listen, I'm glad I'm not as bad as him. You know, I give my tithes and I, I do the things that you're calling me to do. Well, what about the things you didn't do? He's not focused on that. He's comparing himself to somebody else and thinking I'm better off than they are. No, because you can't pay. He says, your sins are forgiven. They that sat at meat, those that were eating with him, began to say within themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? What kind of man is this? And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, here's the interesting thing to me. Jesus uses a woman. Jesus uses a known sinner and holds her up as an example in a male-dominated society, in a society that was being ruled over by these religious hypocrites. He lifts up a woman in their midst and he's making this point, you need to be more like her. In what way? In what way? No, you don't need to emulate her sins. No, you don't. But you need to understand the gravity of your sin so that you can come to me the way she has come to me, broken and weeping bitterly, knowing that you can't pay the debt. And when I forgive you, when you realize the magnitude of what you have done, then you will love the way you're supposed to. See, you will love passionately when you know you have incurred a debt that you can never pay on your own. And you won't waste time looking at what someone else has done because the only thing that matters is you can't take care of your debt. And Jesus, Jesus will freely forgive. You know, sometimes I just think that folk have a self-righteous attitude because they think to themselves they're not as bad as somebody else or they're not as bad off as someone else. Sometimes we may act like because our sins are not publicly known because we won't read about our sin in the newspaper because our sin is not being broadcast on social media. Sometimes I think we may get the idea that we're not as indebted as somebody else. We can make the mistake of grading on a curve sometimes. Sometimes we can share in the Pharisees' folly but with God, sin is sin. See, so broke is broke. And sin is sin. No one in the world needs forgiveness more than I do. No one in the world needs forgiveness more than you do. And what Jesus is looking for is for us to simply realize that we're all debtors. We all owe. We cannot pay. But he will forgive. 
And when we realize the magnitude of our problem and the depth of his forgiveness, then we will love him the way that we should. We'll be willing to serve. We'll be willing to make a spectacle of ourselves before people who don't appreciate what we know. The woman had carried the burden of her sin for too long. And she was prepared to let that burden go. And she left it at Jesus' feet. Jehovah is near to those that are of a broken heart. And he says such as have a contrite spirit. Psalm 34 and verse 18. We should be broken hearted about betraying God by sinning against him. We should, we should have a contrite spirit about living in open rebellion against him. And, and here's the thing. You don't have to wallow in that. You don't have to carry that. You ought to experience that. Let that move you. But you don't have to sort of carry that around as if there's nothing that can be done. You bring that to Jesus and you leave it at his feet. The point of this parable, kingdom living, we are passionate in our love because God forgives. We know that we owe. We know that he forgives and that motivates us to weep bitterly about our sin, to wipe even his feet should he allow us the opportunity to do it. And we don't care what other people think about it. I don't know your particular issues. Everybody has them. You know, this woman's issues were known. Simon's issues were not even known to him, but God knew. I don't know your particular issues. I don't know what your particular shortcomings are, but I do know this. Jesus forgives. So this morning, we invite you, we invite you to come and lay your burdens down at his feet. If you've never obeyed the gospel, if you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, that's what you need to do in order to lay your burdens at his feet. The Bible says that we repent, change our minds, and are baptized for the remission of our sins, to send our sins away. This is how sin is forgiven in the first instance, through obedience and baptism. If you've already done that and you gotten beside yourself in some way you know rebelled against the Lord in your heart with your mouth with your hands listen listen Jesus forgives come and humble yourself and ask him he will forgive this morning I would hope that if you have something on your heart that you will come and share it with us so that we can help you we'll help you in any way we can we'd love to pray with you pray for you and help you in any way that we can. If we can help you, will you let us know how as we stand and sing this song of invitation?